From the studios of Advancing Vibrant Communities in Modesto, California, this is Lighthouse Live Radio on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Welcome to Lighthouse Live, the radio voice of advancing vibrant communities. Our mission is to motivate believers to move out from the four walls of the church to personally serve the needs of their neighborhoods. Get ready for a no-holds-barred, honest look at the Christian lifestyle the way Christ commanded it to be. All that and more coming right up here on Lighthouse Live. And good evening to you, wherever you may be. Pastor Mike Douglas here. Welcome to Lighthouse Live. So good to have you with us here on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. A special welcome to those of you joining us around the world via the World Wide Web. So good to have you with us. Just a reminder, friends, if you're here uh, in the Central Valley, locally in uh, California, love to have you join us for quite a few opportunities to serve. We uh, provide more opportunities every day, and you can find out about that on our website. It's www.vibrantcommunities.org. That's vibrantcommunities.org. And if you click on that little daily update page, that little uh, flashing icon there, why it'll take you right to the daily update page where we post brand new opportunities to serve so that you can love your neighbor as yourself right here in the Central Valley. Uh, just a reminder, we appreciate your prayers. Our producer and co-host Elaine Harlan is not with us today, nor will she be here next week, uh, because she has the wonderful opportunity to be on a tour of the Holy Land and is in Israel right now. And uh, that's just a great opportunity, and we encourage you to pray for her. Uh, Elaine, of course, uh, making most of our connections here at Advancing Vibrant Communities, as well as serving as our producer and co-host, and our uh, thanks to uh, Pat Appleby for sitting in for her. So here at the uh, Lighthouse Live uh, radio studio in the front room at Advancing Vibrant Communities, uh, you'll have to just uh, settle for uh, old me here today. And, of course, our faithful prayer intercessor, the inimitable Mr. Owl, is with us as well, Al Ramsey. Right now, before we go on, by the way, this is going to be a great opportunity uh, this evening to take a look at some efforts that are still going on uh, in the wake of Hurricane Katrina. Uh, quite a few men from our area went down to uh, Mississippi, Macomb, and uh, they're going to tell us a little bit about uh, what they did there and how God used them to bless the folks there. Great, interesting story. Our own uh, uh, Leonard Heisel and Ken Klein will be here in addition to Phil uh, Franklin, Mike Castaneda, Lindy France, and we're going to get their stories in just a moment. Right now, though, let's check in with our friends from Voice of the Martyrs. What will people think when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? What will people do when they find that it's true? Hey, what's up? This is Michael Tate with news about another real-life Jesus freak. Suddenly, the communist stopped beating the Christian prisoner and blurted out, I have power of life and death over you. I am God. The Christian, whose name was Wreck, took that moment to speak truth to his persecutor. You don't know what a deep thing you have said. You have not been created to be a torturer or a man who kills. You have been created to become like God with the life of the Godhead in your heart. Rex words in that Romanian prison planted a seed with the man. Days later, Rex torturer opened his heart to Jesus and found his own place in God's family. 
Get a global perspective from the voice of the martyrs. Go online to persecution.com. You know, friends, it really does pay us to realize that across the world, many, many believers are uh, being persecuted for their faith. You know, we gather for prayer, we gather for worship services, and uh, with relatively no worries at all. And yet there are places around our world where pastors are being arrested, where churches are driven underground. And just a reminder how God powerfully uses those who are being persecuted for their faith to uh, move the gospel forward. So we encourage you to visit that website and also pray uh, for those missionaries and uh, those believers around the world, the uh, uh, people who live in those uh, especially third world countries who are being persecuted as we speak. Remember them as your prayer, in your prayers as we're advised by Scripture. And uh, also it reminds us to make the most of the freedom that we have here. And uh, that's really what we're going to be talking about tonight is making the most of the freedom and the most of our talents for God and to put our skills to work for him. Right now, let's uh, check in with uh, the Pacific Justice Institute and our friend Brad Dacus. It's time for The Legal Edge, a look at your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. And now, with a look at what's happening on the legal front, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. A physician-assisted suicide bill is among the many wacky bills introduced in the California legislature recently. Is this a crass attempt to lower medical costs to the state by prematurely ending the life of those who are, quote, lingering too long? Meddling by the government in these life-and-death matters is unnecessary, as legal directives and current medical practice already allow doctors and their patients to plan compassionate end-of-life treatment. Other new wacky bills include anti-spanking, banning the sale of incandescent light bulbs, and more humane treatment of elephants. Well, Pacific Justice Institute will remain vigilant throughout this legislative session, and work to preserve our values, families, and our freedoms. To find out more about The Legal Edge, call 916-857-6900 or log on at pacificjustice.org. And just a reminder, friends, you can contact the Pacific Justice Institute toll-free at one 9129 That's one 9129 And, of course, their excellent website is www.pacificjustice.org. That's pacificjustice.org. Just a reminder, here's a couple of opportunities that you might be able to fill in uh, in obedience to our Lord's command to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, friends, there is a backlog, a growing waiting list of elderly and disabled people in the Stanislaus County area who can't get to their medical appointments. Some can't even get to their kidney dialysis appointments. And uh, fortunately, there are volunteers like George, who is uh, sitting to my right over here, who've responded to that call. But uh, there's a great need for people just to get a ride to their medical appointment. And uh, here's, for example, an 83-year-old Modesto woman uh, just needs an occasional ride, not just to her doctor's appointment, but maybe to a grocery store in addition to medical appointments. And um, there are, uh, as I mentioned before, several uh, kidney dialysis patients who basically need to get to their life-giving appointments. If you can help us with that, we'd love for you to give us a call, 209-544-9571. That's 209-544-9571. And we'll hook you up with some of those opportunities. Here's a couple of other uh, immediate needs right here. Here's a man that uh, needs cooking utensils. Uh, he's coming out of homelessness. He's working now and able to uh, afford an apartment. But, uh, you know, it, it costs a lot to get into an apartment with a security deposit 
and all that's involved. And uh, he can just use some basic cooking utensils in his kitchen. If uh, you might be able to provide some of those, why, uh, give us a call. By the way, the uh, Modesto Shelter, the homeless shelter at 9th and D Streets, they're in need of some major appliances. Uh, they're looking for a refrigerator, electric cooking stove, uh, those types of appliances. If you happen to have one uh, to donate, uh, please let us know, and we'll get you in touch with them. You know, it's it's amazing, friends, uh, when these go out. You know, we contact people via our email blast or our website by phone calls. You wouldn't believe how many refrigerators are out there that uh, that get donated in good working condition. And that's just a reminder, friends, when you do donate for someone else, uh, kind of take the attitude that you're going to donate something in the condition that you would like to receive it. I mean, uh, it's uh, we really don't want to give equipment to people uh, representing Christ when uh, the uh, articles are broken down or need cleaning. We want to make sure they're in good working order, don't we, Leonard? Yeah. Uh, Leonard delivers a lot of those, and we've been caught once in a while with one that uh, wasn't quite in working order. So, friends, please, uh, we ask you to make sure that what you're donating is clean and in good working order before you do that. So, again, the homeless shelter, 9th and D Street, could use a refrigerator and a uh, and a stove, and uh, also uh, same needs for a disabled couple on the west side of Modesto on Rouse Avenue. Uh, here's a um, husband taking care of his disabled wife, and they need a gas cooking range, a refrigerator, and a double-sized bed. And uh, just a reminder about uh, another opportunity to serve transportation. Um, here's a, a woman uh, that needs to get to her kidney, uh, kidney dialysis treatments uh, while her regular volunteer is out of town. She needs rides on April 19th and 26th. If you can fill those dates, let us know. And uh, here's another opportunity for you painters, a disabled woman. Needs a little time from a volunteer to apply some paint on the walls of the, her home on the inside. And, again, if you can uh, do that, why give us a call. Just a reminder, our uh, Energizer Bunny, uh, our field foreman, John Engel, is still uh, quite sick and probably won't be back in a condition where he can put up those uh, ramps that we were putting up, those wonderful metal uh, walking and wheelchair ramps built by GMS Metals in uh, in uh, Turlock, if you can help us, if you have the expertise to help us put together the remaining five or six ramps uh, that we've committed to, why give us a call again, our number 209-544-9571. That's 209-544-9571. Or check our website, www.vibrantcommunities.org. And here's a couple of opportunities, too, from the Volunteer Center of the United Way. Barbara Borba tells us the American Cancer Society has the Relay for Life coming up. My daughter and my wife uh, participate in that every year. They get up at zero dark 30 uh, on a uh, Saturday or Sunday morning and uh, run a couple, uh, not a couple of laps, they run several hours uh, around the uh, track in Oakdale. The events are being held on April 28 and 29 in Ceres, Oakdale, and Ripon, on May 5th and 6th in Manteca, May 19 and 20 in Patterson and Tracy, June 2nd and 3rd in Riverbank, June 9 and 10 in Lodi and Stockton, and June 23rd and 24th in Modesto and Turlock. They need volunteers to registered walkers and teams assist with sales and uh, help coordinate that event. If you're uh, willing to help out with the Relay for Life, uh, please give Barbara Borba at the Volunteer Center of the United Way a call. That's 209-524-1307, extension 113. That's 209-524-1307. That's the American Cancer Society Relay for Life. Again, the number 209-524-1307, extension 113. 
Well, again, we have the opportunity, uh, friends, to introduce to you uh, quite a few gentlemen who uh, had the opportunity recently to uh, go to uh, Macomb, uh, Mississippi, and uh, have the opportunity to bless others with the skills that uh, that God has uh, given them. And again, our uh, our folks in studio today, two of our uh, volunteers here at AVC, uh, Leonard Heisel and Ken Klein. And uh, by the way, Ken, you uh, Ken, you celebrated a birthday while you were on this particular uh, venture, weren't you? That's that's true. Yeah, and uh, we won't say what number it was, right? Is that well? That's that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> but uh, that's uh, what a great thing to be out on your birthday and and uh, serving others with uh, Leonard and Ken, uh, some new friends of ours here at Advancing Vibrant Communities, Phil Franklin, Mike Castaneda, and Lindy France. Welcome, men. Uh, great to have you with us here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Leonard, why don't you start us off? Uh, how did we find out about this opportunity to serve and? How did uh, how did you get connected with the opportunity to go to Macomb? Well, these other three gentlemen that's with us is from the Church of the Brethren, and my brother goes to that church, and um, he was talking to me about it one day, and I thought, well, that'd be nice, something nice to do. So he kind of put me in touch with the man that's in charge, and the rest is history. And uh, a great opportunity. And you realize, friends, that in the aftermath of a major disaster like that, uh, it is not cleaned up in a year or two years or three years. Uh, it, it sometimes takes decades, 20 to 25 years later. Uh, we're still cleaning up, if not uh, the uh, the geography, at least the uh, FEMA part of it. I know uh, when we worked the uh, Northridge earthquake, it was 25 years later before FEMA had closed out many of those cases. So when we have a major disaster like that, the people who are most affected have to deal with that for a long, long time. And, uh, Leonard? Who's FEMA? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, FEMA is the Federal Emergency Management Agency, and and um, we had some pet names. I, I worked for California at the time. and uh, But, you know, uh, anytime you deal with government agencies, politics enters into it, and, you know, it's just uh, something you got to work with and uh, and through to make it all happen. Well, that was supposed to be a slide remark. Yeah, I, I know that. <laughs> we found out uh, very very fast that uh, FEMA is a kind of a bad name down in Texas. I mean, in uh, Mississippi, you don't you don't want to mention that too often. Yeah, there. You know, it, it's a it's a tough gig, and you look at the origination of, of FEMA, and you know that they've done some wonderful things. The Urban Search and Rescue Response System has saved. Thousands and thousands of lives uh, across the world actually was was part of that network at one time and with the California task forces. But with as with any government thing, why sometimes there are some things that work well and some things that don't. Uh, Ken, as you started, you had an adventure right off the bat, I think, at the airport, uh, right as you were going through the inspection. Uh, did uh, all your items make it make it through there? And no, 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 they didn't. For, for, for afraid not. Uh, I wanted to take some water along, and then that first thing they 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 snatched it away, so they couldn't. Is it? <laughs> so, <laughs> you couldn't take and then water. a shaving bomb too, you know. A shaving bomb, you know, yeah. A, oh yeah, a, 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 a right. cream, you know. Yeah, and uh, so I lost that too. But beyond that, it was all right. <laughs> yeah, but for three twenty-five, you can buy another bottle over on the other that's side. Right. That's what we had. That's what we had to do. Yeah, it's true. Well, Lindy's over to my left here. Uh, Lindy, let's talk about how you got connected with uh, the need there and what prompted you to say, "Yeah, I'll raise my hand. I'll I'll go." Okay, I I go to the Empire Church of the Brethren, and we had a uh, 
interim pastor that was uh, serving as a volunteer in the Dominican Republic. Wow. And he f- sent me an email and said, you got to come down here and volunteer. This is wonderful. And this was in 1999, and I went down there for a month, Dominican Republic. And I came back from there and started taking training, and I've been involved as a director and volunteer since then. It's really been a worthwhile mm. project. Mm. As you've had the what, – what, tell, tell us about your background, by the way, Lindy. What, what do you bring to the table that God was able to use to, uh, to help others? Well, I'm a uh, painting contractor, and I've been around the building industry all my life. We build our own home, so just all aspects of building, I've, I can pretty much do anything. Just mm. a little bit of guidance on the more involved stuff. Yeah. And great how uh, God uses those uh, those abilities that we've been yes. trained in, and, and uh, if we're available, and I think that's the the key thing. Mike, what about uh, what about your background? What what did you bring to the table? Um, I'm a painting contractor like Lindy, and we're we're competitors, <laughs> friendly competitors, and uh, I've been a painting contractor for almost eighteen, nineteen years, I guess, and. Uh, I've been around the trades forever. My folks have owned rentals my whole life, so a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and roofing, plumbing, whatever. So that's this is my second time going. Uh, last year we were in Loosedale for two weeks. And that's in Mississippi? or That is also in Mississippi. That's in Mississippi. You know, we tend to forget because the media is so much focused you know, on Louisiana, uh, but there were other areas, uh, Mississippi included, that were hit very, very hard, and uh, we tend to forget because uh, New Orleans kind of got you know a lot of the yeah. a lot of the media coverage here. You see a lot of help down in New Orleans and the, towards the coast. You see a lot of different people, a lot of churches working down there, and I think these projects have been pulled back fifty, a hundred miles back where there was a lot of damage, also, mm. and like you say, neglected. Mm. Phil, what about your background, and uh, what what prompted you to raise your hand and say, "Yep, I'll uh, I'll be on my way." Uh, I've been in the uh, construction industry for close to thirty years. I'm a general contractor. Um, most of my vocational career, I've been a kind of a glorified handyman. Uh, so, done a lot of different things, uh, and uh, over the last few years, uh, done done a few larger projects. I was asked to go last year. Um, and just couldn't work it out in terms of the job schedule that I had. And, and this year I didn't have any good excuses to <laughs> say no. <laughs> so I, I've uh, previously been involved in a little bit of, of uh, disaster response work um, back when the floods up in Marysville, Yuba City area, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, went up with some gentlemen from the Modesto Church of the Brethren uh, for a couple of days and mostly stripped out a lot of really soaking wet carpet out of houses. We, mm-hmm. we got kind of labeled as the experts on that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, it was, it, was, uh, it was just time to take the opportunity to go, and uh, we just had a marvelous time together. Mm. And now, now, Ken, you don't necessarily come from a contracting background. Talk, and, and you're kind of a, a renaissance man, though. You, know, uh, you, you can find Ken playing piano for people and all sorts of things. Talk a little bit about your background, Ken. Oh, well, well thank you. Uh, no, basically, I, I was a school teacher for 38 years. And uh, in addition to that, I, I play the piano and the organ. And after I retired, uh, I would go to the retirement homes and play for them. So that's basically what I've been doing. Then then I also do some uh, carpentry, too, and build some uh, furniture. I like to use uh, the old uh, wine barrels to make the furniture. 
Well, in fact, there's a, a candle holder right, sitting right, right up here. And uh, actually, uh, you know, we, we had last year, we had a, a new thing here at ABC right in the front room where we are right now. And I actually turned this into a wedding chapel. And, uh, Kim, that, uh, that uh, little chandelier there you built out of a wine barrel actually served us well during that wedding. So <laughs> yeah, we, we appreciate that. And, Leonard, uh, a little bit about your background, too. Well, I was a meat cutter for many years. And I uh, retired out of that, and after I got rested up, went into property management, into uh, retirement facilities. My wife and I managed uh, Stanford Place Retirement over on Stanford Avenue. Mm-hmm. And um, then we went to one other facility, but she was just the manager there. And then I went back to work with the county for 10 years, and I just retired from the county. Well, uh, now that we have the, the cast of characters all set here, let's uh, <laughs> let's talk about the adventure. And, um, again, the, the coordination was done. Uh, Milt uh, was here uh, talking to me a couple days ago. And uh, the Church of the Brethren really kind of has a, a, a good structure for uh, responding to these types of things. Um, Phil or, or Lindy, can you fill us in a little bit on that and, and how that process works? Or Phil's going to take that, I guess. <laughs> well, Lindy probably knows a lot more because he has a more firsthand experience. Yeah, but he's pointing at you. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the, the, the Church of the Brethren does have a good uh, organization in terms of its disaster response and, and typically has um, gone to different places where there have been these kind of disasters, other hurricane damage, uh, flooding uh, around the country, uh, even over in Hawaii. Uh, Lindy mentioned uh, down in the Dominican Republic, so they've been out of country as well. And so they have people who have expertise in knowing what to do on site, uh, helping to get, first of all, just for ourselves, a place to be able to stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's usually kind of important, having somebody to cook meals, um, keep, the, keep the volunteers happy while they're there, uh, make sure that we could get showers at the end of the day, that sort of thing. So, you know, there's a lot of legwork that goes into it. And then they also make all the contacts with agencies that are already in place in those areas. Um, and and so for, for ourselves, we were already dealing with referrals uh, that were in place, and all we had to do is go in and do the jobs. Mm. And our, the directors who were there uh, on this particular site, that was their pr- primary responsibility, was organizing the work, uh, the projects that were to be done, and we just went in to do the work that was assigned to us. You know, uh, ha- having, and, and I don't often, you know, confess to this, but having worn a government hat for 20 years in my professional career, one of the problems that we have on a major disaster is that what we call convergent volunteers, where well-meaning folks just show up, and inundate the system and actually can be more of a burden uh, to things than they can be a help. And it is it is so helpful for a structure like this to be ready because you've already sweated out all the details. You understand, as you said, that, you know, you have to address the care and feeding of the volunteer as well. You have to keep the volunteer healthy and, and motivated and directed and have somewhere to go and, and all of that. So we just so much appreciate the legwork that was done ahead of time on this. And I I think during the hurricane that uh, the, the church as a whole was uh, one of the first uh, entities on the ground, weren't they, in terms of uh, providing some assistance, not necessarily Church of the Brethren, but uh, churches said, hey, we're, we're, we're going to be there. And uh, I think this, uh, this uh, concept, Phil, of, of linking up with government agencies and working with them in, as opposed to opposition is, is just key. Well, I think the particularly the 
Church of the Brethren disaster response sees itself as coming into a project a number of months after the initial um, disaster has taken place. Uh, you've got all kinds of federal agencies, local agencies, uh, insurance companies. They've got lots of messes to sort out, and it's really too soon for a project uh, or a, a something like the disaster response to be able to get in there and do much. And, and so uh, once those sort of things get sorted out, then they can come in and then draw on their resources in terms of people uh, to be able to, to do the work it, that needs to be done. So it, it doesn't see itself as something that comes in immediately after the disaster. Uh, it's downstream a little ways after things have sort of sorted itself out a bit. Yeah, there, there's really uh, two waves, I guess you could say. One is the immediate relief that's necessary when you're picking people off of the tops of houses and you're just dealing with the immediacy of the disaster. And then there's that long-term rebuilding. Mm -hmm. And uh, and uh, that's what you're saying where the Church of the Brethren is, is expert at coming in at that point. Well, I think there's another uh, area of that that I'm not as well acquainted with, and I think it does come in sooner, but it's mostly... a. Um, particularly ladies who have been trained to do child care. Uh -huh. And so, you know, mm -hmm. for people who are trying to figure out what they're going to do with their lives, you know, where they're going to sleep tonight, uh, there's daycare centers that are operated. And so uh, that's more immediate uh, mm -hmm. where the kind of work we were doing is downstream, you know, right. months uh, afterwards. So you answered the call, and I understand um, all or most of you met at uh, the Sacramento Airport, or is that where it was? And uh, you all went together, and uh, let's talk about maybe, uh, Lindy, if you can start uh, when you landed at Ground Zero, so to speak. Uh, where, where did you go, and uh, what happened that first well, night? We landed in Jackson, Mississippi Airport, and I had the forethought to rent a 12-passenger van for us to get 90 miles or so down the project. And we thought 12-passenger van, shoot, that's going to be plenty big for nine people. We put nine people in there and nine people's luggage, and we had no room whatsoever left over. So we had a, had a fun trip back down to the Macomb. Once we got there, we had a real nice house to live in. Some of the volunteers on other projects I've been on have just had a church, and they sleep on the pews mm -hmm. and just a small bathroom to take care of themselves. But we had a nice home with several bathrooms and showers. You almost call them deluxe accommodations. It was real fortunate. Well, that, that gives you some impetus to get back up in the morning and, and go, doesn't it? Yes, it does. We, yeah. They took real good care of us, had wonderful cooks for us. We didn't have to do anything except take a turn now and then to help clean up. Or Some of us took turns cooking. But now, was, now, you mentioned the food. Now, you're, you're going into an area of America where there's some really interesting cuisine. Leonard, uh, <laughs> let's, let's just take a moment and talk about some of, some of what you uh, consumed down there. There, there had to be some uh, interesting things, huh? Well, y'all remember crawfish? <laughs> we had um, uh, the occasion on the first Saturday night that we were there. We went to a place called um, Cafe Dupree, right? right. <clears throat> and everybody had these great big dishes of crawfish. So Mike and Don decided they would... Uh, <laughs> Treat, treat us. Six pounds. <laughs> Six pounds of crawfish. So when the young lady brought them to us, Don had to look at her and say, how do you eat these things? <laughs> <laughs> what did she say, Mike? You were standing right she there. She just showed us how to twist their tails off, and she said you could suck the heads out, too. And I tried one, and I was cured. <laughs> 
that. <laughs> so, so that's not one of the things that you're bringing home, right? No, uh, no, no, no. That's probably yeah. that was a lot of fun. We saw other people eating them, and Don and I kind of been clowning around a little bit. Let's get everybody some of these and take pictures because this will be fun. Yeah. And it was. Well, and you know, I've seen that for years on the Food Channel. They get down in there into the south, and mm. they just pour the whole table from one end to the other. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, isn't that amazing? So I often wondered what they would taste like. So I, I found out. <laughs> and uh, it's a very hands-on experience. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and, and Don that you're talking about is Don Wyatt, and yeah, right. uh, he uh, he works at uh, Doctors Hospital right yeah. here in uh, in Modesto. Mike, as uh, as you made it through that first night and and uh, woke up the next morning, let's talk about some of the challenges that you faced in terms of your mission and some of the tasks that had to be attended to. Well, I just. Um I was hoping that our beds would be able to be able to make it through the night and sleep. Some of us had we had to adjust boards and stuff because there was there was four of us in our bedroom and I don't know you guys had more in yours I think and I think there's you could hold six in in a bedroom so it was you know it was uh, like camping but a higher level and uh, and uh, I was hoping we didn't have too much roofing because the year before we had done a lot of roofing <laughs> and that's pretty painful. And uh, we ended up doing a lot of roofing the second <laughs> week, <laughs> a lot of roofing and sheetrocking and everything. But uh, we um, we kind of split up into two groups, basically, and people floated around. And so we had, uh, you know, we had really efficient. This year was so much more efficient than last year. It was well more organized and everything with the Southwest Mississippi Restoration Project, who we worked for, I guess. They had everything lined up really well and... The Church of the Brethren, with their disaster vehicles and tools, they had that all dialed in and lists. And so, it was so much. It was so much more efficient. It just so more more like we did something. You know, even though we only worked on seven projects and finished five, I believe, mm-hmm. it just felt like wow. We really, you could see the beginning and you could see the end. And and of course, we did a lot of little extras. You know. <laughs> well, now there's some folks, uh, you know, that, that may say, well, gee, uh, I'm kind of like Ken. You know, I. I was uh, a teacher or whatever, and and uh, maybe I play an instrument or whatever. But I, you know, I, I'm not as skilled as Ken. I don't do woodworking. I, I'm not. Uh, maybe don't have those kind of skills. Uh, what do you do with folks that may show up and say, "Gee, I'm I'm willing to work, but I don't really have some of those technical skills you're looking for." Is there a place for those, or are you, are you mostly oh, yeah. looking for? Um, uh, they can cook. I mean, um, minor stuff like that, or. Uh, they can hand you shingles as you're flying down the roof. They can hand you a shingle at a time. I mean, real light stuff. I mean, uh-huh. or pick up nails off the ground or garbage. There's, If you're looking, there's always something to do. You don't have to be doing the physical heavy-duty end of it. The directors of the projects normally know or have a pretty good handle on the skills of the group that's coming in. Sometimes it's a group of college kids. Sometimes it's all girls. They pretty much have an idea what jobs to line up ahead of time. So they, they will schedule a job that's not quite as heavy-duty construction for that type of group, like maybe just cleaning out a house, knocking the walls down, mm-hmm. cleaning out the black mm-hmm. mold, which is mm-hmm. physical, but it's not as technical as some jobs. So we try to coordinate that with the, the skills of incoming people. Volunteers come in normally for a week at a time. Okay. We went for two weeks because of the distance. We had to travel to get there. You might as well make it worth your while, right? right? <laughs> and uh, it, it's, it, let's talk about uh, the uh, the Southwest is a restoration project, I, I think was the name. Talk to us a little bit about what kind of organization that is. Is that a nonprofit? Is it a government agency? Do you know? 
through the church. I, through the my, church. My understanding is that it was a subsidiary of St. Andrew's Parish. Got it. Okay. Which I'm not exactly sure what that is, <laughs> but uh, it, it's some sort of an outreach. And and so you, there are two nonprofit organizations um, that tiered down to uh, the the Church of the Brethren disaster response. So um, it's primarily, I think, other Christian people. Uh, working at organizing recovery projects and there's you have to have someone who can go in do the research do the legwork of looking at the individual jobs assessing damage deciding what needs to be done and that's what southwest mississippi uh restoration or recovery project did now i'm assuming when we're talking about these roofing projects that these folks have been sitting there since the hurricane uh with uh, with some semblance of disrepair in their homes, and uh, and uh, so I'm assuming that uh, they appreciate the fact that the Calvary comes riding in at at, at some point. What uh, as you as you hit the ground, Ken? What did you see? What as, as you got off the the plane and and you took the the twelve passenger van? Is that what it was? You crammed a fifty pound load into a five pound bag there. Um, what did you see as you started to go on site? What went through your mind as you started to look at uh, some of these streets and neighborhoods, Ken? Basically, it was a beautiful area, rolling hills, mm. and just really nice, nice, nice area, comfortable areas to be with. A lot of flowers, the azaleas, the dogwood, and let's see, there's one other one. The camellias were in bloom. That's true. Right. I'd like to hop back just a minute to the experience there with the... the Particularly the contractors on on the shingles, I know it was nice to have the two contractors there to help you and guide you, <laughs> particularly with the uh, you know the air ha- hammer, and getting that. F- in fact, I lear- learned uh, how to deal with m- making a valley. I didn't know before. Now I know it. Now you know. Thanks to, to Don and to, to Phil, we were able to do it uh, in style. That was an all-day job, wasn't it? <laughs> hey, it was more than an all-day job. You know, we had to, the other day we had to take off the, the, the shingles first. And then getting those 60-pound shingles up on the roof is another story. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. Appreciate that, Phil. <laughs> Phil. Phil was one that could put them on his, on his back and go right up the, the ladder. I think the rest of us kind of broke them up into smaller bundles to get them up there. But it's a really a, a neat experience to have the guidance there so you don't make a bunch of mistakes. Are we looking at, uh, in, in those areas you were in, are, are we still looking at mass devastation or are we looking at a house, you know, here and there with disrepair? What, 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 uh, what, paint a picture for us. What did you see, uh, in, in that area, Lindy? Well, when we first came in the area, you look around and say, why are we here? It's just mm. so beautiful. Mm. Not a very apparent damage, but they would take us to the individual homes and we could see the damage. Like I said, some of it wasn't hurricane related. But some of it was, and lot, and more more often than not, it was from the tornadoes that were spun off of the Hurricane Katrina. Uh-huh. And as the high winds came in, it did the problem, ripped the roofs off, and just caused damage. But we sometimes you just wonder why you're there, but then you start looking a little closer, and the homes really need it. The people were ministering to the people more than their homes a lot of times. Yeah, absolutely. The people yeah, absolutely. were just the people just fell through the cracks where all the other agencies couldn't help them, and that's what's one good feeling about this. You're helping the people that otherwise wouldn't have any help. Absolutely. Friends, uh, we're talking with uh, a group that went down to Macon, Mississippi. Right now, we're going to listen to the group Salvador. Jesus says, love God with your whole being. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the point of this song from Salvador. We'll be right back. 
What's in a color? What's in a name? What makes us different when what we want to say? Power to Congress, a power to peace. So glad that we can worship inequality. What separates us from our fellow man? Is it the fear of what we do not understand?
That's Salvador. You're listening to Lighthouse Live here on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network, talking about a wonderful opportunity that several uh, people from uh, our Central Valley area here, the greater Modesto area, had to go to Macomb, Mississippi, and uh, minister to people by using uh, their skills. I noticed in the, uh, there's a, uh, a brochure I'm holding in my hands from the Church of the Brethren uh, General Board. It's called Disaster uh, Response. And uh, they lead by the reminder from Galatians 2 to bear one another's burdens. And, you know, the, the question inevitably comes up, well, why are you guys doing this? You know, we find that out here locally and, of course, in these types of efforts that uh, that question always crops up. And uh, we go back to, too, a, a, a piece of Scripture that uh, we've used time and time again to remind people why we do what we do comes from uh, 1 Peter 4.10. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. And uh, Ephesians uh, also reminds us, Paul reminds us, that uh, from the, the beginning, God has ordained that we have things that he wants us to do and we're to use the skills that he has given us for his service. And certainly uh, that's a, a wonderful way to put that to work. In the aftermath of a disaster, I'm, I'm just looking at some of the testimonies, and I'm sure you guys have received some of them uh, as well as you were out there, but the brochure sites, uh, just a, a few. Uh, this is from a 7-year-old um, uh, Hurricane Maryland survivor. He says, I like your roof because it keeps me dry. It does not leak at all. You know, there's the simplicity of it right there, isn't it? Uh, Midwest flood survivor says, We never thought our house would ever look like a home again. But when all these wonderful people came into our house and started cleaning and fixing it, it gave us the lift we needed. Finally, another disaster uh, survivor says, It took a disaster to find out there are still good people in the world. Thank you for giving us a part of our life back, our home. And, uh, you know, that's part of the message, isn't it, men? Uh, You know, the media makes much of uh, the negative aspects. Of course, there was looting and there was crime and and those are all you know part and parcel of what happens in a disaster but the story isn't always told of all the great people who anonymous anonymously show up with the skills god has given them to bless others in uh, in this type of effort and we were uh, talking before the break about uh, what you saw the kinds of things that uh, you needed to address and it sounds like according to mike castanet over here that Roofing appeared to be one of the major, whether we liked it or not, right? <laughs> Roofing was one of the uh, major uh, problems. Now, had had these folks uh, been enduring um, leaks and such? I, I would imagine that created a lot of mold and such in their homes, right? We didn't see a lot of mold. The uh, the roofs were repaired with FEMA tarps, bright, bright, bright blue tarps. When you drive through the neighborhood and you start seeing the tarps on the roof, you know you're in a area where they got hit pretty bad. Uh-huh. And so... Some of us would uh, cut out a little part of the deal, said FEMA, for a volunteer and take it home and was ripping the tarps off. But they, uh, the tarps did stop most of the water, but there was a lot of water went inside and did more interior damage that we had to fix also. Mm-hmm. So they were just kind of moving around away from the leaks for a year and a half. Ken, as you uh, interacted with some of the folks that you were serving, what, what were some of the reactions as veritable strangers from california of all places started to show up in macomb mississippi what kind of reception did you get by the folks you were serving they were very happy to see us it was, it was nice to you know to be accepted there and they, they liked what we were doing for them very great that's true right very, very much that. us, some of them. Oh, right that's too we had a bit special <laughs> normally we would have you know brown bag at lunchtime 
But I know in three different uh, cases there in our group that they wanted to, and in fact, they did fix lunch for us. One day we had, you know, ribs. Another day, fried chicken. Another day, ham. And so, and, and then also this, this one lady also gave us some of her blackberry jam Ooh. that we lost coming back through the, you know, coming back on the plane. Uh, mine made it through. Oh, did, did it really? <laughs> oh, very good, actually. Oh, well, oh, I let's that. all go over to Mike's house Mike's and house uh, have some jam. Blackberry jam. Joanne's jelly. Maybe. Joanne's jelly. There we go. <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, you know, people talking about people in the community. I mean, sometimes you get people honking at the vehicles because they recognize the same vehicles that are in the community. Mm. And uh, Don Wyatt and I walking across what we labeled the project, but we have no idea what it was. Uh, uh, a black gentleman walked up and said, hey, you guys are those construction workers here helping our folks. I mean, mm. We acknowledge that. So people, I think, we don't realize it as much, but they see us in the community, and, and we had people come in and stop by on other, from other projects because St. Agnes had another home. Mm-hmm. So, and um, he came in and said, we have changed Macomb forever. Yeah. And you don't realize it because we've walked into homes that probably never had people like us in them. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So it's like you just people still look at you kind of out of the corner of their eye, but when you're in there helping people out, I think they they know you're there to to do good and help out. Where like you know, like people don't get helped out like they should. Having been in this condition for a couple of years, did you sense a, a sense of frustration? Uh, from a lot of the po- folks who were serving, or uh, had they just kind of uh, ad- adapted to a somewhat negative situation? Leonard? Well, I remember when we went out to Bob Wilson's house, which was Joanne's husband, he looked at us and he says, well, he says, you're the first pe- people who I've seen in 19 months. He says, FEMA was here and said they'd be right back. Mm. And you're the first people back. So they were really happy to see us. He had already gotten his roof fixed, though, so we just had to do the interior part. But you mentioned something about the people's dignity and the way they live. And you remember um, the couple from Illinois. What was their names? Oh, uh, Ken and Sandy. Sandy and Marty. 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 They were. Uh, he was telling me the story about a lady that they went into their house on another project. Said uh, that the ladies later told them, I think, if I remember rightly, that there had never been a white man in her house, mm. and she kept her head down. She wouldn't look at anybody. And for the first day, the, she wouldn't look at anybody. The second day, she would get her head up a little bit. The third day, they said she disappeared. Mm. Didn't know where she was at. Later in the afternoon, there was a car rolled up, and this lady got out of the car and came toward the house, and they told her that the lady of the house is not here. She's gone. And she raised her head up, and she says, I am the lady of the house. Mm. And she had went downtown, and I guess she'd gotten a haircut, a makeover, um, they said they did not recognize the woman. Is that right? Wow. But just the fact that she got her house fixed up, she could she could lift her head up and look, and she didn't have to worry about maybe what people were saying about her house. Was there a little bit of a, a sense of hopelessness for some of these folks? Well, I think that that woman was certainly hopeless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I imagine that those... Um, clear through the whole 
place. I mean, when somebody tells they, they're going to be back in in a month or two and see you later and they don't show up, well, you know, here I am, stranded, high and dry. What am I going to do? Yeah. And what a, what a great thing, then, for the church uh, to show up and, and show the love of Christ that way. Friends, we'll be back with more about this trip to Macomb, Mississippi, right after this at Lighthouse Live. Deep needs, deep hurts, spreading far beyond the government's ability to help. Children, single moms and dads, the elderly, disabled, the homeless. Yet, thousands of resources that can meet those needs are sitting right now in the pews and seats of our churches. The challenge? Activating those resources and connecting them with the people in need. We have a proven solution, advancing vibrant communities. We bridge the gap. We connect people and churches with opportunities to serve the needs of their neighbors. Pure, simple, proven effective, advancing vibrant communities. What's our motivation? Jesus' command in Matthew 22:39 to love your neighbor as yourself. The church at large has a biblical mandate to serve the needs of the community. Advancing Vibrant Communities researches those needs, then finds volunteers with the skills and passions to meet those needs. The very first story that Mike told about AVC involves serving one of my church members whose needs I could not meet within my own community. And in that moment, God humbled me and asked me to open my heart and really listen. And as I saw the setup of the database, I realized that AVC is a wonderful partner with my own congregation. It helps us be more effective. This organization comes along and says, I'll do a lot of the groundwork and we'll discover the needs. And then those folks in your congregation who desire to be a part and who have these skills can volunteer. AVC partners with over 80 community and government agencies to help meet the needs of the city. We network with organizations like Habitat for Humanity, the American Red Cross, Salvation Army, the Area Agency on Aging, the School District, and the Police Department. Habitat and AVC is a perfect match in that we both have common missions of helping people get out of the four walls of the church, getting out into the community and helping others. AVC serves volunteers by finding ways for them to help others. AVC serves the needy through volunteer efforts with love, grace, mercy, and compassion. AVC serves churches by augmenting efforts to reach out and meet the needs of their neighbors. AVC serves businesses by helping create healthy neighborhoods, by connecting employees with opportunities to volunteer, and by providing opportunities to donate goods and services to legitimate needs in the community. You know, some of us can do donate a little money, some a little time, some one or the other or both. It really touched my heart that these strangers were interested in me and what I needed in my life. You know, it's not only hearing it, but it's seeing them, and it's being there in person and seeing the, the need that they have and hopefully being able to do something about it. I will tell you, as you know, your chief of police in the city of Modesto, we need your help in the community making a difference. Volunteer, I know we can put you to work. And I, I promise you, if you get involved, you'll feel better. You'll be happier. How can we partner with you to meet the needs of our city? We ask you to consider monthly financial support and to help recruit more volunteers. 
Advancing Vibrant Communities. Faith in action, pure, simple, proven effective, carrying out the biblical mandate to love our neighbors as ourselves. Thank you. And we're back with you here live in the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Pastor Mike Douglas with you, along with uh, Phil Franklin, Mike Castaneda, Lindy France, Leonard Heisel, and Ken Klein, all who had the opportunity uh, to go and uh, serve the Lord by serving people in Macomb, Mississippi. Now, uh, you did you did have a field trip. You got to uh, go to New Orleans and... Uh, uh, I think, as we saw on, on uh, in, through the media, that the French Quarter probably wasn't uh, uh, too affected. That they're kind of back to business. But what what other things did you see as you made that uh, side trip there? Any uh, remnants of the uh, hurricane as you looked at perhaps at uh, areas of the river and such, uh, Phil? Well, definitely, as we went further south, the evidence uh, of the hurricane was much more pronounced. Just so many broken trees, tree limbs down. Um, that was probably the most predominant thing. We we were fortunate in that one of the volunteers who went along, uh, Don Wyatt, he and his wife were there right after Katrina uh, as part of a, a medical uh, emergency response team. And we're in Slidell, uh, Louisiana, yeah. uh, for 10 days. And so he just kind of really filled us in on a lot of details about what the hurricane did, the damage he saw uh, in in the time he was there, even though he was working mostly 18-hour days at a hospital. Um, and that just gave us some education. Once we got into New Orleans itself, um, the evidence of damage that is still very visible 18 months later, it just um, sobers you very quickly. Mm-hmm. We were fortunate enough to drive right to the... Uh spot where one of the levees was breached oh, and we just took pictures from that area just the whole to- the whole block was just gone the whole well, it was was there any uh comments from the people that you served in mississippi that maybe they felt slighted a little bit because of the attention on new orleans or uh, were they kind of so con- consumed by their own problems that that was a little bit off the radar screen i i, I never heard any particular comments from the people I, in one sense we're sort of the cavalry that got to charge in and, and be the heroes, right. and we were received with such a gracious response uh, from the people that we were working for that whatever rancor, bitterness, uh, frustration, disappointment that they might have experienced, we didn't, uh, at least I didn't experience any mm. of that. It was much more a sense of how nice it was and how grateful they felt that we were there and doing whatever we could do to help them. Amen. Guys, we're uh, we're bumping the clock a little bit. Let's go around the table, Ken. If we could start with you, let's just uh, maybe give us a, a a quick statement on how you felt about responding to God's call, and what did you take away from this experience that maybe uh, has has changed your perspective on life, on what God has given you, and and uh, maybe on, on uh, encouraging others to take advantage of a of a similar opportunity. Sure, it was a great experience, but really what impressed me was the church. The opportunity to go to church was an hour of, of singing, an hour of preaching, and how the pastor Im- impressed us by saying that everything had to be spiritual. And that was really mm-hmm. very important to us. Mm-hmm. Amen. Phil? I, uh, I wrestled a bit in trying to decide whether to go or not, and... Um, 
after having made the decision and having spent the time there, just reminded of that you can never outgive God. Amen. That Amen. came back with far more than uh, it ever gave up. It, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Absolutely. Yeah. Interesting how that works. Mike Astonita, how about you? Uh, ditto on the last two guys here. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, it, you do come away with a sense of uh, helping out people that really need it. And uh, it's great to be able to talk about it and uh, do little presentations like this. And, and in our church, we plan on doing one. Mm-hmm. And it's um, and it makes you realize how much you take for granted. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just feel blessed that I can take the time like some of these folks and and not really be as old as they are. (laughs) (laughs) Mike was the youngster of the crowd. (laughs) Anyway, no. And that'll be another program, right? Yeah, no, like like, um, Lindy said, they do have college kids that come in and whatnot, but uh, it's hard for, I know, younger people, you know, 10 or 15 years younger than we are, to even be able to have the chance to take that kind of time, and I feel blessed to be able to do that. Awesome. Leonard? Well, being the oldest... There was a couple of nights that uh, we were pretty well drug out. Mm. Probably had to help us up <laughs> get up in the van. But uh, like the others said, it, it is it's good that you can give back to the Lord. Amen. He gives you your daily breath, and it, this is just a small way. Like you said, it's time to get out and uh, uh, put your feet where the where it hits the rubber on the road mm. and show your faith. That what Jesus Christ has done for you, and that you can give back to His calling. Amen. Lindy Franz, you'll have the final word here. Well, I know to me, just everybody was so appreciative of all the work we did. All the volunteers that were there want to go back and do it again. That just lets you know how good, what a nice feeling we all got from it. And mm-hmm. we're all ready to help where we can. It's just enjoyable to hear the people appreciate us. Amen. Well, men, thank you. Phil Franklin, Mike Castaneda, Lindy France, Leonard Heisel, Ken Klein, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. And uh, you, our listeners, thank you for joining us here on Lighthouse Live. We'll see you next Monday here on the Lighthouse Live International Podcasting Network. Good night, and God bless you.